Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Today, New Year's Day, my message title is The Best Laid Plans. Uh, So how many of you have heard that phrase before? The best laid plans. Does anyone know how it actually ends? Anyone? No? So you may or may not know this. It comes from a poem written in 1785 by Robert Burns. And it was originally in the Scots language. And I'm not going to try to repeat the, the poem in the Scots language because my New Year's goal this year is to not embarrass myself at least for the first 48 hours in this new year. Thank you. I will need it. Is that Ruby? That hurts. (laughs) And the poem goes, the English translation says, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. And I think it's interesting that even though many of us have heard the phrase, the best laid plans, some of us aren't really sure how it ends because I I think maybe it's telling of our culture um, that we, we know the phrase, the best laid plans, means that things probably aren't going to go the way we maybe think they're going to go, but we really don't want to say the ending out loud. We don't want to say the bad part out loud. We don't actually want to declare to the world that, that maybe our plans are not going to go correctly. And so, we continue to make our plans, don't we? And it's New Year's Day, and how many of you have made any resolutions for this year? Anybody? No? Wow. Just a couple of you? Okay. All right. I, so I'm, I love my planner. I love to make, like, to make plans, and I have to have my physical agenda, and I have to write things down, and I bought um, stickers to go with my agenda, and my stickers only came with 10 resolutions stickers, so apparently that's my maximum, but I don't know. I don't know how many you typically do. I will tell you this, however. I find that for me, for some reason, the more resolutions I make, the more goals I make for myself, there's an interesting uh, thing that happens to me, and I think it's that I become sometimes more irritable. I become a little more frazzled, maybe. Um, Sometimes even the busier I become, the slower I am to be with God, if I'm honest. Maybe you guys have been there. Um, And I think, too... There's, there's an old song that I used to sing that said, um, I will make my plans, Lord, but you direct my steps. And it's from this Bible verse. And there's times, if I'm being really honest, that instead of letting God direct my steps, I'm like, no, you're, the way that you want me to go is directly interfering with my goal. And I'm going to keep going. Okay, I'll get to you in a minute, God. And maybe you felt that too. Sometimes it's not, it's not wrong to set goals, right? I think, I think there's... Um, there is something powerful about setting intentions and setting goals. And if we're, if we're honest, whether we realize it or not, we're always moving in the direction of something, right? If we're not in being intentional, we're drifting somewhere. It's still, ending, it's still taking us somewhere. And so setting goals is a good thing. And in God's hands, those goals can lead us further into his heart and further into his kingdom plans for us. But if we're not careful, sometimes goals can actually end up being a little bit of a distraction, And so for me, as we enter in this season of resolutions and goals, I feel like God has been confronting me with an uncomfortable truth that maybe you can relate to. 
So the first one is this, that our goals aren't always God's goals. Sounds obvious, but it's something that God is reminding me. Our goals aren't always God's goals. Second, God is at work in the obstacles to our goals sometimes. God is at work in the obstacles to our goals sometimes, and I'll explain more what I mean as I go on. And finally, even good goals can become idols if they become more important to us than God himself, if they become more important to us than being with God and resting in him. And so I love that Tom is already talking about that, already inviting us just to be with God in his presence today because truly that is, that is the greatest goal we could possibly um, set for ourselves or pursue today or this year or next year or next decade. And so we're going to go to a story this week um, that maybe you've heard before. We're actually going to look at the story of Balaam in the Old Testament. Um, and this is set in the, uh, in the time when the Israelites were still wandering. They had not reached the promised land yet. And as they're traveling through different areas, um, they're traveling through different territory, basically, of other, other peoples, other kings, other nations. And so there were conflicts at time. And so at this story, when this begins, um, they have recently... Um, just defeated the Amorites, which was a nation um, that was causing trouble for them. So they God allowed them to defeat the Amorites. And so there was this King Balak, and he was terrified now of the Israelites because of what he heard they had done to this other nation, the Amorites. And so, basically, he decided to hire this man, Balaam. So you maybe heard of like a hitman. Not exactly like that, but if we're thinking that along those lines, he hired this guy, Balaam, basically to come and curse the Israelites. He's like, all right, if, if I can get this guy to come and curse the Israelites, they won't be a problem to me. No big deal. Everything will be fine. So um, Numbers twenty-two twelve says, uh, so God said to Balaam, do not go with these people. There's a delegate, a delegate um, sorry, delegates came from the king and asked Balaam to come, and God says to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on these people because they are blessed. Okay, but the delegates did not like the answer. They did not like no. So they said, you know, come on, my, my, the king is going to offer you all this money. There's all these great things for you. Can you, you know, why not? Why can't you come? Um, and, and so then we see a little bit of, like, maybe hesitation in Balaam. Um, and so he says, you know what, hold on. Maybe I'll, uh, you know, God said no, but maybe I'll stay the night. I'll see if God says anything else, and I'll let you know in the morning. Um, I almost wonder if a little, a little part of him was like, hmm, this money sounds nice. Maybe, maybe God will change his mind, and I can get, get paid as well. Um, so sure enough, that night God speaks, and in verse 20 we see God says, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you to. All right, so verse 21. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. We're going to come back to this in a minute, because again, it looks a little bit like God is being wishy-washy here, like God's like, yeah, go, go, and then he's mad about it. So I'll explain that in a second. So Balaam sets out, and then as he's going, God is angry, and there's an angel of the Lord who stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a sword drawn in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. So you have to understand, Balaam is not seeing the angel and the sword. All he knows is that his donkey is being a pain, right? And so he beats it to get it back on the road. 
Verse 24 says, the, the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on either side, to the right or the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, oh, I think I skipped ahead. The best laid plans. You know, Ruby, we're going to have words afterwards. Uh, so the angel of the Lord uh, went in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. And again, yeah, if, the, if your animal is crushing your foot, you're angry. I get it. All right, so then, verse 26, the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, um, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? And Balaam answered the donkey, You have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. All right, so he's got some road rage. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? And have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed face down. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. And going back to earlier, right, we'll, we'll touch on this again, but Balaam's path was reckless. He, in his heart, God, I think, knew that Balaam was probably going to get there and be tempted to, to take the money and do the curse. And, and so even though Balaam looked like he was honoring God, God saw his heart. So um, the uh, the. The uh, angel says, The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. And so you see suddenly this change of heart, right? This full humility that Balaam says. He's like, okay, you're right. You, you got me. I was, I was wrong, and I am sorry, and I'm repenting. And if you want me to go back now, I won't even go with these men. Um, but God allows him, God says, okay, it's fine for you to go. It's fine for you to go, but you can only say what I tell you to say. And so that's what happens when, when Balaam shows up. The, the king reminds him, why didn't you come right away? And I have all this money I can give you. And, and you know, all you need you to do is curse the Israelites. And Balaam says, nope, I'm sorry. I can only speak what God tells me to speak. And so again, for the first thing I see in this story is that, um, that God sees our hearts and he knows our goals. And he knows that even sometimes we start out with good goals, right? And our good goals can sometimes get twisted. They can sometimes get a little bit thwarted. And sometimes a selfishness can creep in or, or a personal motivation or whatever it is. And so God says, listen, whenever your goals do not align with mine, in my mercy, I'm going to create an obstacle, I'm going to put something in your path because I don't want you to keep going that way. And so sometimes in our lives, we may find that God allows obstacles for us, not because he's trying to trip us up, not because he's trying to make us mad, but because he says the way that you're going is reckless or the way that you're going does not honor me. And I want you to learn to trust me, to learn to follow me, to lay down that goal. That weight loss plan, 
that maybe isn't really healthy, right? Maybe it's, maybe you're, you're, you say, oh, I just want to be healthy, but, but then it turns into this obsessive calorie counting and this really not taking care of your body. And in the end, God says, no, that's, that's not what this is about. That's not a health goal. Or maybe it's a desire to provide for our families, but without realizing it, it subconsciously turns into a goal of greed or, or a need for importance or to climb that ladder. And God wants to derail that. Or maybe it's that the goal to serve God maybe turns into this, this frenetic, like this need to constantly be doing and doing and doing so that we don't know how to rest in God. We can't feel God's heart anymore, maybe. And God says, I want to derail that goal too. Even though it sounds good, you're still want to serve me. I admire that. I, I love that. But if you're doing it and you're, not, and you're not resting in me, then maybe you're missing the true goal, the real goal that needs to be happening in your heart. And so I believe that when God sees us going towards something that is not good, he's going, to, he's going to call us out on it. He loves us too much to let us go without pushing back. And this is one of the two reasons I think we need to start paying attention to the obstacles that show up in our lives, the obstacles to our goals. You'll notice that three times Balaam had this obstacle that was, it was in front of him, right? And his reaction the three times is, is like he's very, very annoyed. How many of you have felt very frustrated lately? Anybody? Just annoyed, just, just frustrated, just irritated that you can't get stuff done? Maybe, maybe you think back to the, the last time, for instance, that you were trying really hard to get something done, and then, you know, your, your spouse, a friend, your, your kid interrupted you. How did that feel? How did you react to that? Or maybe you're trying to get somewhere, man, and you just, you just really need to get there, and you are driving behind that guy who's 35 miles an hour in a 45-mile-an-hour zone. Or maybe, like me, I, I literally, I wrote this message, and then I, I said, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, when you get a flat tire, and that's a pain. And then yesterday, I got a flat tire, and I was like, God. I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to live the message. Just let me be for other people. Um, but you get, yeah, you, you're on your way, you get a flat, and then you're stuck on the side of the road with a toddler for an hour screaming. So that's, you know what I mean? There's, there's these moments when setbacks and obstacles come. And if we're honest, how many times is our reaction to obstacles joy? How many times is our reaction to obstacles even basic patience? We are um, in, in my own life, we're unexpectedly fostering again. Um, some of you know that. And we also, I decided to follow through with my plan to buy my children a puppy for Christmas. Um, and so between a toddler and a dog, I feel like I just have, everything is one big interruption, right? Like, um, I'm, I'm trying to finish schoolwork, and that's thwarted. And I, I try to, you know, just go to the bathroom, and that is interrupted. And I, I just tried to do a puzzle, my relaxation, that's my thing I love to do over Christmas break. And the dog, I've already fished like three pieces out of her mouth. I can't just do something without being interrupted. And do you know what my reaction has been? Like when my reaction to when I'm trying really hard to finish a paper and my, my toddler keeps interrupting me. Oh, we blessed child. Verily, praise the Lord for this distraction which slows now my paper, which will be a third of my grade for this semester. No. No, I'm irritated. I'm angry. I'm annoyed. And it's, and it's frustrating. And I feel like, if I'm being honest, my reaction is a little bit like Balaam's with the donkey. You know, I keep thinking, like, when, he's, when the donkey just lays down on the ground, I keep thinking of my dog when I take her out to go to the bathroom, and she just, 
just sits there. And I'm like, no, this is, we're, it's not nap time. We're here for a reason, right? And I just want to make her keep going. Go, go, go. And ba- that's what Balaam's trying to do. And so I can relate to this feeling that he has of growing irritation towards this donkey. But maybe, maybe like Balaam, maybe God is trying to say, Carrie, Maybe, maybe you need to cool it with the irritation because maybe this obstacle needs to show you something about your heart. Maybe this obstacle is here to show you something that's off kilter about your goal. See, most of my goals, like probably many of yours, are good goals. I want to help people. I want to get a degree that will help me to, to love God more and serve him more and love people more. I want to be better at spending less time online and more time with my family I want to grow in patience so I can create a good environment for my home. And so it almost makes me feel a little alarmed at how quickly my projects can become more important than the people around me. And I think God is saying to me, what if in all the nice goals you have, you're missing the very people I've put in front of you today? What if in all your lovely plans you've forgotten or you've refused to slow down for me? I'm reading a good book right now, courtesy of my friend Linda Reed. Um, it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And uh, it's, a, it's a very good book. And he talks about how um, really we've, we've gotten so goal-oriented, we've gotten so busy and so like just frantic pace that it's very hard for us to even hear God's voice sometimes. Um, and he says that often for us the first thing to go when we're busy is that time with God. Now here, I'm going to list what he says, the 10 signs or symptoms of an overhurried life. Maybe you can see if any of these relate to you. Um, I was like 8 out of 10, so problem here. God's working on. Uh, the first one is irritability. Hypersensitivity, that's number two. Three is restlessness. Four is workaholism or nonstop activity. Five is emotional numbness. Six is out-of-order priorities. Seven is lack of care for your body. Eight is escapist behaviors. Nine is slippage of spiritual disciplines. And ten is isolation. I don't know if any of those hit you, but they definitely hit me. And so this author, John, he, he challenges us that the solution to this busyness is to, is to slow down and to begin to live more like Jesus lived in rest and in Sabbath. And he says, and I love this, he says, um, when we look at the Gospels, they're not just written for us to, as rules to follow, but almost like you would read a biography, he says. He says, read the, bi- read the Gospels as though they're a biography about someone that you want to emulate, that you want to follow, and look at how Jesus lived his life. And so he points out, for instance, quote, in Luke's gospel in particular, you can chart Jesus' life along two axis points. The busier and more in demand and famous Jesus became, and the more he withdrew to a quiet place to pray. And so he's saying the busier that Jesus got, the more time he actually took away to be with God, to refocus, to reset, and to make sure his priorities were aligned with his Father. And John also points out, how Jesus is constantly being interrupted. In fact, he says, you know, he's like on his way to one miracle and he's interrupted by someone else who's asking him to do another miracle. And yet Jesus never treats someone like they're a disruption to him, does he? He always takes time. He doesn't say, oh, sorry, I gotta, gotta do this, you know, heal this person, raise this person back to life, and then I'll get back to you. He like totally just 
focuses in on that person who needs him in that moment. And it's such a beautiful thing. And it makes me think, honestly, if we're looking at Jesus' life, you know, he had this one overarching goal, didn't he? And his one overarching goal was not to, to have more followers technically or to, to, you know, to be famous or to be wealthy. No, his, his goal was to die. His goal was to die for us. And he was laser focused on that goal. He knew that mission early on and he told his disciples even before they could understand. But today, I want to say, like, Jesus didn't just come. Obviously, he had this goal to die for us. But then in the meantime, what does he do? This ministry of his, he's, he's going around, he's making disciples, he's being with people. If you look at Jesus' life, you might think he didn't really have much of a goal at all. In fact, in fact, if Jesus were alive today and we looked at his life, we might think, okay, here's this guy, won't settle down, just moves from place to place. He's got all these wealthy women who are like supporting him financially, doesn't have like a steady job. What might we, what might we call that person? I mean, at, at best, maybe we'd say, oh, he's kind of a, you know, a hippie. He's just a wanderer. At worst, we might say, he's, oh, he's, a, he's just loafing off other people. He's immature. He can't grow up, can't make up his mind. And yet, the thing about Jesus was people were his goal. Love was his goal. And so everything he did was rooted in that. And if you look at Jesus and you look at the way that he lived, even if it seems haphazard, even if it seems like he was wandering, Jesus was very much always true to his goal to be with people and love them. People were his goal. And so he always allowed the Father to redirect his plans in the moment. Um, And so... The other point is that these, these goals that we have, again, if we pursue them outside of the Father, they can easily become idols. How many times have you had something that just, you know, God's like, okay, I put this, I want you to do this thing, and you're excited to do it, and you're chasing him, and you're running after this thing, and then at some point you realize that you're so focused on that thing that you've forgotten why you started it in the first place. Have you ever been there? And God says, You've got to come back to me. You've got to, got to keep every day coming into my presence. Let me remind you why you started. Let me, let me rekindle that fire in you so that you're going in my way and in my purpose. And so this book Linda gave me talks about how we, we desperately need this time with the Father. And I admit that, um, this, that you know, this book was written by a man who is not a stay-at-home mom. And there's a little part of me that has been arguing with this book ever since I started reading it. Because it's like, you know, you just need to carve out some time, some really quiet time to pray and be with God. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Where is the quiet time? Where is this magical place? And yet, and yet... I can tell that part of me is arguing because he's making a point that's true. And part of the thing is that I don't want to have to sacrifice my sleep. But maybe, maybe, and what I think God is calling me to do this year is get up a little earlier. Get up a little bit ahead of the chaos. Get up a little bit ahead of the noise. And just take, even if it's 15 minutes before the toddler wakes up, even if it's 15 minutes, I desperately need that time with him. So much that I actually, um, in my email this week, um, there's a guy called... Jia Jing, I think is his name. You've heard the uh, global leadership guy. He talks about being rejection proof. You can look him up. He has a TED talk. Um, but he, he sent out this thing and he said, he said, so many of our goals often are output based. And so it's like, okay, I want to I wanna lose weight or I want to be a better parent or I want to, you know, all these things. But he's like, we really have to focus not on the output, but the input. So what are you putting in? 
And so he said, we, we can put in extra time in that morning, and that is a way to reset, to, to um, honestly, like if, if I, so for me, he has this camp right now where you can sign up and you can text, and every morning you're, you have to get up before 6 a.m. If you get up before 6 a.m., you text him and say, I'm up, and he counts all your days, and by the end of January, he lets you know where you stand, like what your ranking is. Um, but I signed up for this because I was like, you know what, I, I desperately need to get up earlier, but not just to get up early because I know that if I really want peace and patience and joy and love in my life, it's going to start with God. It's not going to start because I mustered it up, because I tried harder, because I, because I worked harder. In fact, I would suggest that a lot of our goals, maybe we don't need to work harder for our goals. Maybe we need to learn to rest harder. In fact, maybe we don't need to focus so much on working more towards our goals, but finding that rest that God wants to give us for our souls. And so I know last year, I remember Tom challenged us all to, to maybe read, read through the Bible in a year, and it was such a great goal, and I know many of you tried to do that. Um, and this year, I'm just going to say, if you're, if you're going like, to want to hold me accountable this to this too, um, but I would just challenge you, if it's five minutes, if it's ten minutes, if it's drive to work in your car, turn off the music, turn off the podcast just for that, that 15 minutes. Even start there and just say, God, I want you to be in my life. I want to feel your presence and I want to rest in you and let you lead me. And so um, I know we've already had some, some moments to just rest and I love that. As we're wrapping up here, I want to invite um, my friends Roger and Sherry up here. And I just feel strongly that um, I want us to start this year in prayer. And start this year um, as, a, as a body of believers saying, okay, God, I don't, wherever my plans are, wherever my goals are, I want to give them to you. And my prayer for all of us is that God would wreck any plans of ours that are not of his, that he would come and meet us with holy disruptions, and that he would lead us more into his presence as we follow him. So I'm going to invite these two to take over. And, okay. um, are we good? Yeah, just sit. You're good here? Okay, thanks. Tom's going... His first prayer right now. Oh, please, God, you know, looking at us. Because this could go off the rails, right, Tom? Not true tonight. Uh, a couple of things I want to say to, um, to Carrie, uh, talking about how God spoke through Balaam's donkey, mm -hmm. and then you invite us up here. I don't think there's any correlation uh, at all to that. Not for Sherry. Not for <laughs> Sherry. I knew that part. Uh, a couple of other misconceptions I want to clear, clear up. Uh, one is there, there's an assumption that because we get called up here all the time that we're the only people that end up being like the power prayers with the big red S on our shirt. And that's just not the case. It could be any one of you up here doing this exact same thing, first of all. And, you know, even Maria and, and John and, and Lorraine and Chip and, and Bill and Chris and, you know, any one of you could come up here and do exactly what we're talking about. The other thing is most people think that praying is speaking. And it was fascinating when we came in tonight, Sherry said, I get the feeling that what we really need to do is we really need to take some quiet time. And this is totally separate. And we didn't have a conversation with Tom about this. This is how we know that God is in this. And Sherry said, we need to take some quiet time. It doesn't have to be very long, but it has to be uninterrupted. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take some quiet time because that's what we should do before we pray. And we're only take about 30 seconds or maybe a minute, and we just want you guys to breathe a little bit and just ask God. Huh? Just ask God to speak to you. 
and, and see what happens. And then we'll come back with some, some instructions in just a minute. So God, we know you're speaking all the time. And we just have to, have to pay attention and listen. And so that's what we want to do right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you hear our hearts and know the words before we even speak. But we want to hear your voice, too. And, Father, we're going to lift up a time now where this is going to be kind of a corporate prayer over this coming year. Um, I know there are a million things going on in the people represented just in this room. And, Lord, we'd like to lift up Hope Church, the year ahead of us, and just things that we need as individuals, as families, as households who are sitting here tonight, and those who are online. So what I want to do is just open this up and just say, Father, we put our hope and our trust in you this year for, and I'm just going to leave it blank, and you guys just call out the word or phrase of what you need for your family, of what you want to see for Hope Church, okay? So I'll start out. Father, this year, I want to see more of your presence. Anybody else have something? It can be one word or a phrase. What do you pray for this year? Health. Thank you. Acceptance, good, Ruby. Anybody else? Good, excellent, yes. Yes, good, love, joy. Patience, absolutely. Kindness. Sorry? Balance, excellent. Yes, Lord, help us with that. We always need help with that. Yes, good, good. Anybody else? You good? Okay, yeah, thank you, Lord, for that. Yeah, and, and so, Father, because we've been asked to come up here and pray, we will also do that. And, Father, for this house, for this year, <laughs> we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would descend on this house, that you would provide wisdom, that you would provide guidance, that you would provide direction. All the things that these people spoke out, we ask for that. Holy Spirit, please, you are the one that enacts all of this. You are the energy behind all of it. 
we thank you. We thank you that you are in this place. We ask for guidance for the leadership of this, of this church. We ask for, for peace for everybody in this room. But most of all, we ask for eyes to see, to see you, Lord, to see you in our every day, to see you everywhere we go. We ask for that. And we thank you in Jesus' name.